Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. The last chapter, chapter 13 of A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket. The book, The Tent, The Slippery Slope. Count Olaf gasped and raised his one eyebrow, the eyebrow very high as he gazed at the two Baudelaire's and their companion with his eyes shinier than they had ever seen. Where is it? He said in a terrible, wheezing whisper. Give it to me. Violet shook her head, grateful that her face was still hidden behind the mask. Not until you give us Sunny Baudelaire, she said. Never, the villain replied. Without that big tooth brat, I'll never capture the Baudelaire's fortune. You give me the sugar bowl this instant or I'll throw you off this mountain. If you throw us off the mountain, Klaus said, you'll never be able to get the sugar bowl. He did not add, of course, that the Baudelaire's had no idea where the sugar bowl was or why in the world it was so important. Esme Squalor took a sinister step towards her boyfriend in the flame-imitating dress crackling against the ground. We must have that sugar bowl, she snared. Let the baby go. We'll cook up another scheme to steal their fortune. But stealing the fortune is for the greater good, Olaf said. We can't let that baby go. Getting the sugar bowl is for the greater good, Esme said with a frown. Stealing the fortune, Olaf. Stealing the fortune, Olaf insisted. Getting the sugar bowl, Esme replied. Fortune, sugar bowl. Fortune, sugar bowl. That's enough, ordered the man with a beard but no hair. Our recruitment scheme is to is about putting is about to be put into action. We can't have you two arguing all day. Okay, you need to get dressed while I'm doing this. We wouldn't have argued we won't have argued all day, Count Olaf said timidly, after a few hours. That's we said that's enough, ordered the woman with hair but no beard. Bring that baby here. Bring the baby at once, Count Olaf said to the two white-faced women she's nap she's napping in her casserole dish the two white-faced women sighed but hurried over to the casserole dish and lifted it together as if they were cook they were cooks removing something from the oven instead of villainous employees bringing in over a prisoner while the two sinister visitors reached the the necks of the shirt and retrieved something that was hanging around their necks violet and klaus who were surprised to see the shiny silver whistles like the one that Count Olaf had used as part of their disguise at Prufrock Preparatory School when he was pretending to be a coach. Watch this, volunteers, said the sinister man in a hoarse voice, and, two, and the two mysterious villains blew their whistle instantly as the children heard an enormous rustling sound over their heads as if the Mortmain Mountain winds were as frightening as the, young, as the youngsters as it suddenly grew very dim, as if the morning sun had also put on a mask. But when they looked up, Violet and Klaus saw them saw the reason for the noisy sky and fading light was perhaps strange, more strange and frightening winds and a masked sun. The sky above Mount Frat, this swarming was swarming with eagles. There were hundreds and hundreds of them flying in silent circles high above the two sinister villains. They must have been nesting nearby and have arrived so quickly. They must have been very thoroughly trained to be so eerily silent. Some of them 
looked very old, old enough to have been in the skies when the Baudelaire parents were children's themselves. Some of them looked quite young, as if they had only recently emerged from an egg and were already obeying the shrieks and shrills of the whistles, but all of them looked exhausted, as if they would rather be anywhere else but the summit of the mountains during doing absolutely anything rather than following orders of such wretched people. You gotta get dressed, honey. Oh, okay. Doing and such wretched people. Look at these creatures, cried the woman with her hair with hair but no beard. When the schism occurs, you may have won the carrier crows, volunteers, but you may have you may have won the trained reptiles. Not any more, Count Olaf said. All of those reptiles except one. Don't interrupt the sinister woman interrupted. You may have the carrier crows, but we have the two most powerful mammals in the world to do our bidding. The lions and the eagles. Eagles aren't mammals, Klaus cried out in frustration. They're birds. They're slaves, said the woman with the man with a beard with no hair, and the villains reached into their pockets of their suits and drew out two long, wicked-looking whips. Violet and Klaus could see at once that they were similar that they were similar to similar to the whip that Olaf had used when bossing around the lions at Caligari Carnival. The matching sinister sneers of the two mysterious villains cracked their whips in the air, and the four eagles swooped down from the sky, landing in a strange thick pad of the villains that the villains had on their shoulders. These beasts will do anything that we tell them to do, the woman said, and today they're going to help us with their greatest triumph, she said. The, she uncurled the whip and gestured to the ground around her, and the children noticed for the first time an enormous net on the ground spread out over the entire peak, just stopping at the fork-assisted climbing shoes. On my signal, these eagles will lift up the net and carry it into the sky, capturing a group of young people who think they're here to celebrate false spring. The snow scouts, Violet said in astonishment, will capture every one of those uniformed brats and the villainous the villainous man bragged, and each one of them will be offered an exciting opportunity to join us. They'll never join you, Klaus said. Of course they will, the sinister woman said in her deep, deep voice. They're either recruited or they'll be prisoners. One thing's for certain, they'll burn down every single one of the parent of their parents' homes. Oh my gosh. The two Baudelaire shuddered and even looked at Count Olaf. Even Count Olaf looked a bit uneasy. Of, co- of course, he said quickly. The main reason we're all doing this is to get our hands on those fortunes. Of course, Esme said with a nervous snicker, we'll have the Spatz fortunes and the Cornbluth fortune and the Winnipeg fortune and many others. I'll be able to afford that penthouse apartment, every single building that isn't on fire. Once you tell us where the sugar bowl is, said the man with the beard with no hair, you can leave the volunteers and take your baby friend with you. But you wouldn't rather join us? No, thank you, Quigley said. We're not interested. It doesn't matter if you're interested or not, said the woman with hair but no beard. Look around you, you hopeless... You're hopelessly outnumbered. Wherever we go, we find new comrades who are eagle, eager to assist in our work. We have comrades too, Violet said bravely. As we, as we rescue Sunny, we're going to meet up with the other volunteers at the last safe place and tell them about your horrible scheme. Oh, it's too late for that, volunteers, Count Love said in triumph. Here comes my new recruit. With a horrible laugh, the villains pointed in the direction of the rocky path, and the elder Baudelaire's could see that the past, the covered casserole dish still held by the white-faced women, the arrival of the uniformed snow scouts walking into two neat lines, more like eggs in a carton than young people on a hike. Apparently, the scouts had realized that the enormous snow gnats were absent from this part of the mount, Mortmain Mountain and had removed their masks so that Violet and Klaus could instantly spot Carmelita Spatz standing in the front as, in the front of the lines with the tiara on her head. Tiara is a word here which means small crown given to a nasty little girl for no good reason and a large smirk on her face beside her at 
Beside her at the top of the line stood Bruce, holding the spring pole in one hand and a big cigar in the other. It was, it, there was something about the face of Violet and Klaus that was familiar, but they were too concerned about the villainous recruitment plan to give it too much thought. What are you cake sniffers doing here? demanded Carmelita Spatz in an obnoxious voice. The two siblings found a very equally familiar. I'm the false spring queen and I order you to go away. Now, Carmelita, Bruce said, I'm sure these people are here to celebrate your special day. Let's be accommodating. In fact, we should try to be accommodating. Basic, calm, darling. The scouts had begun to say the ridiculous pledge along with Bruce, and the two Baudelaire's knew that they could not wait for the entire alphabet to be recited. Bruce, Violet interrupted quickly. These people are not here to celebrate false spring. They're here to kidnap all of the snow scouts. What? Bruce asked with a smile, as if the Baudelaire's had just been joking. It's a trap. Klaus said, please turn around and head and lead the scouts away. Pay no attention to these masked idiots, Count Olaf said quickly. The mountain air has gone to their heads. Just take a special, just take a few steps closer and we'll join in a special celebration. We're happy to accommodate, Bruce said. No, after all, we're accommodating basic. No, Violet cried. Don't you see the, don't you see the net on the ground? Don't you see the eagles in the sky? The net is a decor, the net is a decoration, Esme said with some false with a smile as false as the spring and the eagles are wildlife please don't listen please listen to us Klaus said you're in terrible danger carmelita glared at the two baudelaires and adjusted her tiara why should i listen to cake sniffer strangers like you she added you're so stupid that you've still got your masks on even though there aren't any snow knots around here violet and Klaus looked at one another through their masks and carmelita's response had been quite rude but the two siblings had to admit she had a point the Baudelaire's were unlikely to convince anyone that they were telling the truth with their faces covered, unnecessarily covered. They did not want to sacrifice their disguises and reveal their true identity to Count Olaf and his troop, but they couldn't risk the kidnapping of the Snow Scouts, even to save their sister. The two Baudelaire's nodded at once and just, and then turned to see what Quigley was nodding, that Quigley was nodding too, and that the three children reached up and took off their masks for the greater good. Count Olaf's mouth dropped in surprise, you're dead," said the eldest. He said to the eldest Baudelaire, saying something that knew he knew was ridiculous. "You perished in the caravan along with Klaus." Esme stared at Klaus, just looking as astonished as her boyfriend. "You're dead too. You fell off the mountain." "You're not one of those twins," Olaf said. "You died a long time ago." "I'm not a twin," Quigley said, "and I'm not dead." And Count Olaf said with a sneer, "You're not a volunteer. None of you are members of the VFD. You're just a bunch of orphan brats." In that case, said the woman, with hair but no beard, in her deep, deep voice, there's no reason to worry about that stupid baby any longer. That's true, Olaf said, and turned to the white-faced woman. Throw the baby off the mountain, he ordered. Violet and Klaus cried out in horror, but they covered and looked at the covered casserole dish that they were holding, and then at one another. Then slowly they looked at Count Olaf, but neither of them moved an inch. Didn't you hear me, Olaf said? Throw that baby off the mountain. No, said one of the white-faced women, and the two Baudelaire's turned to them in relief. No, asked Esme Squalor. What do you mean? We mean no, though, said the white-faced woman, and her companion nodded. Together, they put the covered casserole dish down on the ground in front of them. Violet and Klaus were surprised to see the dish did not move, and assumed that their sister may have been too scared to come out. We don't want to participate in your schemes anymore, said the white-faced woman and sighed. For a while, it was fun to set fire with fi- fight fire with fire, but we've seen enough flames and smoke our whole lives. If we, don't think, if we don't think it was a coincidence that our home burned to the ground, said the first woman, we lost, 
we lost a sibling in the fire, Olaf. Count Olaf pointed to the woman with the long bony finger. Obey my orders this instant, he screamed. But the two former but the two former accomplices merely shook their heads and turned away from the villain and they began to walk away. Everyone in the square peak watched in silence as the two white-faced women walked past Count Olaf, past Esme, and past the two sinister villains with eagles on their shoulders, past the two Baudelaire's and Quigley Quagmire, past the hook-handed man and the former employees of the carnival, and finally past Bruce and Carmelita Spatz and the rest of the Snow Scouts until they reached the rocky path and began to walk away from Mount Front together. Count Olaf opened his mouth and let out a terrible roar and jumped jumped up and down the net. You can't walk away from me, you pasty-faced women, he cried. You'll, I'll find you and destroy you myself. In fact, I can do anything myself. I'm an individual practitioner. I don't need anybody's help to throw this baby off the mountain. With a nasty chuckle, he picked up the covered casserole dish and staggered slightly and walked over to the edge of the half-frozen waterfall. No! Violet cried. Sonny! Klaus screamed. Say goodbye to your baby sister, Baudelaire's. Count Olaf said with a triumphant smile and showed off all of his filthy teeth. The baby's not in there, is she? I'm not a baby, cried the familiar voice of the, from the, underneath the villain's long black automobile. The two elder Baudelaire's watched with pride and relief as Sonny emerged from behind Violet and punctured... Violet had punctured and ran to her siblings. Ran to her siblings. How do I keep losing my spot? How could this be? Olaf said, but then he remembered the covered casserole dish that he saw. How this could be because the object inside, which was about the same size and the weight of the youngest Baudelaire, wasn't a baby. Baganosh, Sunny cried, which meant something along the lines of, I concocted an escape plan plan with the eggplant that turned out to be handier than I thought. But there was no need for anyone to translate as the large vegetable slid out of the casserole dish and landed with a plop at Olaf's feet. Nothing is going to, nothing is going right for me today, cried the villain, and I'm beginning to think that washing my face was a complete waste of time. Don't upset yourself, boss, Colette said, contorting herself in concern. I'm sure that Sunny will cook us something delicious with that eggplant. That's true, said the hook-handed man. She's becoming quite a cook. The false spring rolls were quite tasty, and the lox was delicious. Oh, it could, it could have used a little dill, in my opinion, Hugo said, but the three united <coughs> Baudelaire's turned away from this ridiculous conversation to face the snow scouts. Now do you believe us, Violet asked? Can't you see that this terrible man is a villain and he's trying to hurt you? Don't you remember us, Klaus said to Carmelita Spatz. Count Olaf has a terrible, had a terrible scream, scheme at Proofrock Prep, and he has a terrible scheme now. Of course I remember you, Carmelita said. You're those cake-sniffer orphans who use Vice Principal Nero all that trouble, or who caused him all that trouble. And now you're trying to ruin my very special day. Give me that spring pole, Uncle Bruce. Now, now, Carmelita, Bruce said. But Carmelita had already gotten a long pole from Bruce's hands and was marching straight across towards the stricken stream. And the man with no beard, with a beard but no hair, and the woman with hair but no beard, clasped the wicked whips and raised their shiny whistles to their sinister mouths. But the Baudelaire's could see that they were waiting for spring to tap, waiting to spring to spring their trap until the rest of the scouts stepped forward so that they would be inside the net with the eagles lift and the eagles would lift him from the ground i crown myself false spring queen carmelita announced and when she was at the very edge of mount fraught with a nasty laugh of a triumphant she elbowed with a nasty laugh of triumph she elbowed the baudelaire's aside and dove off the spring pole 
into the frozen half-top of the waterfall. There was a slow, loud shuddering sound, and the Baudelaire's looked down at the slope and saw that the enormous crack was slowly making its way down the center of the waterfall, the pole and the two tributes of the stricken stream. Baudelaire's gasped in horror. Although it was only the ice that was crackling, it looked as if the mountain were beginning to split in half, and soon an enormous schism would divide the entire world. What are you looking at, Carmelita asked scornfully. Everybody's supposed to be supposed to be doing a dance in my honor. That's right, Count Olaf said. Why doesn't everybody step forward into a dance of honor in honoring this little girl? Sounds good to me, Kevin said, leading his fellow employees into the net. After all, I have two equally strong feet. And we should be accommodating, said the hook-handed man. Isn't that what you said, Uncle Bruce? And now they're calling him Uncle. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely, Bruce agreed with a puff of his cigar. He looked a bit relieved that all of the arguing had ceased and the scouts had finally an opportunity to do the same thing this year. Come, snow scouts. Let's recruit every snow scout alphabet pledge that we as we dance around the spring pole. The scouts cheered and followed Bruce into the net. Snow scouts, the snow scouts said, are accommodating, basic, calm, darling, emboletic, frisky, grinning, human, innocent, jumping, kept, limited, meek, nap-loving, official, pretty, quarantine, recent, scheduled, tidy, understandable, victorious, wholesome, xylophone, young, and zippered every morning and every afternoon and every night and all day long. There's no... I know. There's nothing wrong, of course, with having a pledge and putting into words how you might feel is important in your life as a reminder to yourself to make your way in the world if you feel for instance that a well-read that well-read people are likely to be evil and the if this world is full of people sitting quietly with good books in their hands is preferable to a world filled with schisms and sirens and other noisy troublesome things then every time you enter a library you might say to yourself the world is quiet here is a sort of a pledge proclaiming reading to be greater than to be the greater good if you feel that well-read people ought to be lit on fire and their fortune stolen, you might adopt the saying, fight fire with fire as your common pledge whenever you ordered someone, some of your comrades around. But whatever your words might choose to describe your own life, there are two basic guidelines for composing a good pledge. One of the guidelines is that the pledge make good sense so that your pledge contains, if your pledge contains the word xylophone, for example, you mean that people, you mean that a percussion instrument played with mallets is very important to you and not that you simply couldn't think of a good word that begins with the letter x the other guideline is that the pledge be relatively short so that a group of villains that is luring you into a trap with a net and a group of exhausted trained eagles so that you have more time to escape the snow scout alphabet pledge sadly did not follow either of these guidelines as the snow scouts promised to be xylophone at the and the man with the beard but no hair cracked his whip in the air, and the eagles, sitting on both villains' shoulders, would begin to flap their wings, digging their claws into the thick pads, lifting two sinister people right into the air when the pledge nearly ended. The snow scouts were all taking a big breath and to make the snowy sound, and the white and the woman with hair but no beard blew her whistle, making the sound shriek. The Baudelaire's remembered from the running laps of... of part of Olaf's schemes at Proofrock Prep. These three siblings stood with Quigley and watched the rest of the edges, dove quickly to the ground and picked up the net and their wings trembled with the effort lifted everyone who was standing in the air the way you might remove all the dish- dinner dishes from the table by lifting the corners of the tablecloth. If you were to try such an unusual method of clearing the table, you would likely be sent to your room or chased out of the restaurant. 
and the results of Mount Fraught were equally disastrous. In the moments of the snow scouts and Olaf's henchfolk were all in the aerial heap, struggling together inside of the net that the eagles were holding. The only person who escaped the recruitment, besides the Baudelaire's and Quigley, of course, was Carmelita Spatz, standing next to Count Olaf and his girlfriend. What is going on? Bruce asked Count Olaf from inside the net. What have you done? I have triumphed. Triumphed? I don't think that's a word. Olaf said again. And a long time ago, I tricked you out of the reptile collection that I needed to use for my own. The Baudelaire's looked at one another in astonishment, suddenly realizing when they had met Bruce before... And now I've tricked you out of the collect out of a collection of children. What's going to happen to us? Asked one of the the fearful snow scouts. I don't care," said the other snow scout, who seemed to be aff- afflicted with the Stockholm syndrome already. Every year we hike up Mount Front and do the same thing. At least this year is different. Why are you recruiting? Why are you recruiting me too? Asked the hook-handed man, and the Baudelaire's could see one of his hooks frantically sticking out of the net. I already work for you. Don't worry, Hooky, Esme replied. It's all for the greater good. Mush, cried the woman with the beard with no hair, cracking his cracking her whip into the air. Squawking fear of the eagles began to drag the net across the sky and away from Mount Frat. <clears throat> you'll get to the sugar bowl. You'll get the sugar bowl from those bratty orphans, Olaf ordered the woman, and we'll meet up from in the safe place with the eagles. The with these eagles at our disposal, the sinister man said with a hoarse voice, we can finally catch up to those self-sustaining hot air balloon home and destroy those volunteers. <clears throat> the Baudelaire's gasped and shared the astonished look with Quigley. The villains that they were ta- the villain was surely talking about the device that Hector had built with the village of foul devotees in which Duncan and Isadora had esp- escaped. We'll fight fire with fire. The woman with no hair, with hair but no beard, cried in triumph, and the eagles carried her away. Olaf muttered something to himself and then turned and then began creeping towards the Baudelaire's. I only need one of you to, to learn where the sugar bowl is, he said, his eyes shining brightly, and to, to get my hands on the fortune. But which one should it be? Well, that's a difficult decision, Esme said. On one hand, it's been enjoyable having an infant servant, but it would also be a lot of fun to smash Klaus's glasses and watch him bump into things. But Violet has the longest hair, Carmelita volunteered, as the Baudelaire's backed and cracked the waterfall wait backed as the Baudelaire's backed towards the cracked waterfall with Quigley right behind them you could yank on it all the time and tire to things when you're bored those are both excellent ideas Count Olaf said I'd forgotten about them Uh, how what adorable little girl you are why won't why don't you join us join you Carmelita asked look at my stylish dress Esme said to Carmelita if you joined us I'd buy you all sorts of outfits Carmelita looked thoughtful, gazing at first at all the children and then next to the two villains standing at her smiling. The three Baudelaire's shared a look of horrified disappointment with Quigley. The new siblings remembered how monstrous Carmelita had been at school but had never occurred to them that she would be interested in joining up with the more with even more monstrous people. Don't believe them, Carmelita, Quigley said and took his purple notebook out of his pocket. They'll burn your parents' house down. I have the evidence right here in my commonplace book. What are you going to believe, Carmelita, Count Olaf asked. A silly book or some adults, what some adults tell you. Look at us, you adorable little girl, Esme said, her yellow-orange dress crackling on the ground. Do we look like the sort of people who would burn down houses? Carmelita, Violet's voice said, don't listen to them. Carmelita, Klaus cried, don't join them. Carmelita, Sunny cried, which meant something like, you're making a monstrous decision. Carmelita, Count Olaf said in a strickenly sweet voice, why don't you choose 
one of the orphans to li- live and push the other off the cliff, and then you'll go. Then we'll all go to a nice hotel together. You'll be like the daughter we never had, Esme said, stroking her tiara. Or something, said Olaf, who looked like he would prefer having another employee than a daughter. Carmelita glanced once more at the Baudelaire's and then smiled at the two villains. Do you really think I'm adorable, she asked. I think you're adorable, beautiful, cute, dainty, eye-pleasing, flawless, gorgeous, harmonious, impeccable, jaw-dropping, adorable, jaw-dropping, adorable, keen, luscious, magnificent, nifty, oblivious, adorable, photogenic, quite adorable, ravishing, splendid, thin, undeformed, undeformed, very adorable, well-proportioned, xylophone, yummy, and zestfully adorable, as may pledge. Yummy. I know. And every morning, every afternoon, every night, and all day long. Don't listen to her, Quigley pleaded. A person can't be xylophone. I don't care, Carmelita said. I'm going to push these cake sniffers off the mountain and start Nick. And start an exciting, fashionable new life. <clears throat> the Baudelaire's took a step towards, a step back, and quickly followed, giving the children a panic look. Above them, they could hear the squawking of the eagles as they took the villains, new recruits, further and further away. Behind them, they could feel the four drafts of the valley, where the headquarters had been destroyed by the people the children had. The children's parents had devoted their lives to stopping. Violet reached their po- in her pocket to, for her. <laughs> For her ribbon, trying to. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Imagine what she could invent <sighs> so that she could get them towards their fellow volunteers in a safe place. Her fingers brushed against this, this bread knife that she wondered if she could remove the weapons from her pocket and use it to threaten villains with violence, or whether this too would make her villainous as the man putting, who was staring at her now. Poor Baudelaire's Count Olaf said mockingly. You might as well give up. You're hopelessly outnumbered. We're not outnumbered, Klaus said. Look at there are four of us and three of you. I counted triple because I'm the false spring queen, said <coughs> Carmelita, Carmelita, and you are outnumbered, cake sniffers. <clears throat> this, of course, was more utter nonsense from the mouth of this cruel girl. But even, even if it weren't nonsense, it doesn't always matter if... It, one is outnumbered or not. When Violet and Klaus were hiking towards the Valley of Four Drafts, for instance, they were outnumbered by the swarm of snow gnats, but they managed to find Quigley Quagmire, climb up the vertical flame diversion to the headquarters, and find the message hidden in the refrigerator. Sunny had been outnumbered by all the villains on top of Mount Frat, and had still managed to survive the experience, discover the location of the last safe place, and concoct a few recipes that were as easy and as they were delicious. And the members of VFD always had been outnumbered because the number of greedy, wicked people always seems to be increasing while more and more libraries go up in smoke. But the volunteers have managed to endure the world, endure a word here, which means meet in secret, communicate in code, and gather crucial information of the evidence to foil the schemes of their enemies. It doesn't always matter whether there's more people on your side of the schism or up there on the opposite side. As the Baudelaire stood with Quigley and took one more step back, they knew what was more important. Rosebud, Sunny cried, which meant in times, in some situations, the location of a certain object can be much more important than being outnumbered. And it was true. The villains gasped in astonishment. Violet sat down in the toboggan, grabbing the leather straps. Quigley sat down behind her and put his arms around her waist and Quagley, in Quagley. Klaus sat next, sat down next, and put his arms around Quigley's, and they were just room enough for the in the back for a young girl. So Sunny sat behind her brother and hugged tightly as Violet pushed 
off of the peak from Mount Frat and sent the four children hurtling down the slope. It did not matter that they were outnumbered. It only mattered that they could escape from the monstrous, from a monstrous end by racing down the last of the slippery slope, just as it matters to escape from the monstrous end by putting down the last of the slippery slope and reading a book in which villains do not roar at children who are trying to escape. Well, we'll be right behind you, Baudelaire's Count Olaf roared as the toboggan raced towards the valley of four drafts, bumping and splashing against the cracked icing melt, uh, melting ice. He won't be right behind us, Violet said. My shoes punctured his tire, remember? Quigley nodded, and we'll have to take that and he'll have to take that path, he said. A car can't go down a waterfall. We'll have a head start, Violet said. Maybe we can reach the last safe place before he does. Over here, Sunny cried. A hotel denouement. De, uh, den, denouement. I don't even know what that word is. Remember? Demar. Really? Yeah. It's Hotel Demar? Denouement. Does it say that in the movie, Hotel Demar? I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Good work, Sunny Violet said, proudly putting on the leather straps to her steer, steering the toboggan away from the crack. I knew you'd be a good spy. Hotel Dumas, Quigley said. I think I have that one in my maps. I'll check my commonplace book when we get to the room. Bruce, Sunny cried. That's another thing to write down in our commonplace book, Class agreed. That man, Bruce, was Dr. Mon- was at Dr. Montgomery's house at the end of our stay. He said he was packing up Monty's reptile collection for the Herp... Herp... Biological Society. Do you think he's really a member of VFD? Violet asked. Well, we can't be sure, Quigley said. We've managed to investigate so many mysteries, and yet there's still so much that we don't know. He sighed thoughtfully and gazed down the ruins of the headquarters, rushing towards them. My siblings! Okay. But the Baudelaire's had never got to hear any more about Quigley's siblings because at that moment, the toboggan, despite Violet's efforts with the leather straps, slipped against the melted section of the waterfall and the large sled began to spin. The children screamed and Violet grabbed the straps as hard as they could, only to have them break in their hands. The steering mechanism is broken, she yelled, dragging Esme Squalor to the slope. This must have weakened the straps. Uh Uh-oh, Sunny cried, which meant something along the lines of, that doesn't sound like good news. Uh-oh. At this velocity, Violet said, using a specific word here for speed, the toboggan won't stop until we reach the frozen pool. If we don't slow down, we're going to fall right into that pit we dug. Oh, come on. Well, at least they have, like, the straps. They can turn it into a rope. Klaus was getting dizzy from all the spinning and closed his eyes behind, the gla- behind his glasses. What can we do? Drag your shoes against the ice, Violet cried. The fork should slow us down. Quickly, the older belt Baudelaire's Quickly, the two older Baudelaire's stretched their legs and dragged the forks into the shoes against the last of the ice on the slope. Quickly followed suit, but Sunny, who was of course not wearing fork-assisted climbing shoes, could do nothing but sit and listen to the scraping, splashing of the fork against the thawing ice in the, of the stream as the toboggan slowed ever so lightly. That's not enough, Klaus cried. As the toboggan continued to spin, he caught a brief glimpse of the pit they had dug covered with a thin layer of weakened wood. Getting closer and closer, the four children hurtled towards the bottom of the waterfall. My cup, Sid, Sunny said, which meant something like, should I drag my teeth along the ice too? It's worth a try, Klaus said, but as soon as the youngest Baudelaire leaned and dragged her teeth along the the thawing waterfall, the Baudelaires could see that that was not really worth it at all, as the toboggan kept spinning and racing towards the bottom. That's not enough either, Violet said. God bless you. And focused her inventing mind as hard as she could, remembering how she had stopped the caravan when she and her brother were hurtling away from Count Olaf's automobile. There was nothing large enough to use a drag chute 
and the eldest Baudelaire found herself wishing that Esme's squalor were on board with them so she could stop the toboggan with her enormous flame-imitating dress. She knew that there was no strap, backstrap molasses, wild clover honey, corn syrup, aged balsamic vinegar, apple butter, strawberry jam, caramel sauce, maple syrup, butterscotch topping, maraschino liquor, virgin, extra virgin and extra virgin olive oil, lemon curd, dried apricots, mango chutney, creme de nocci, I don't know what that is, creme de nocci, tamarind paste, hot mustard, marshmallows, creamed corn, peanut butter, grape preservative, saltwater taffy, condensed milk, pumpkin pie filling, or glue, or any other substance for that matter. She then remembered the small table that she had used to drag on the ground behind the caravan. And then she reached into her pocket, and she knew what she could do. Hang on, Violet cried, but she did not hang on herself. Dropping the broken straps of the toboggan, she grabbed the long bread knife and took it out of her pocket at last. It had only been several days, but it felt like a very long time since she had taken the knife from her caravan, from the caravan, and it seemed that every few minutes she had felt its jagged blade in her pocket as she tried to defeat the villain villains high above her without becoming a villain herself but now at last there was something that she could do with the knife that might save them all without hurting anyone gritting her teeth violet leaned out of the spinning toboggan and thrust the knife as hard as she could into the ice of the slippery slope the tip of the blade hit the crack caused by carmelita's spring pole and then the entire knife sank into the slope just as the, pot, the toboggan reached the bottom there was a sound of likes of which baudelaire had never heard like a combination of enormous window shattering and the deep booming sound of someone firing a cannon the knife had widened the crack and the tremendous uh, and in one tremendous crash the last of the ice fell to pieces and the forks Sunlight, teeth, and tobogganing finally took their toll on the waterfall. and one enormous whoosh, the water of the stricken stream came rushing down the slope, and in a moment the Baudelaire's were no longer in a frozen pool at the bottom of a strange curve of ice, but simply at the bottom of a rushing waterfall with gallons and gallons of water pouring down on them. The orphans had just been had just enough time to take a deep breath before the toboggan was forced underwater and the three siblings hung on tight but the oldest Baudelaire felt a pair of hands slip from her waist when the wooden toboggan bobbed under the surface and she called out the name of her lost friend Violet she screamed when it put it down because I'm going to drive you around Vi quickly she screamed Violet the Baudelaire heard the triplet's voice as the toboggan began to float down one of the tributaries Klaus pointed and through the rush of the waterfall, the child could see the glimpse of their friend. He had managed to grab onto one piece of wood and from the ruins of the headquarters, something that looked a bit like a banister, such as one might need to walk up a narrow staircase, leading them to an astronomical lab observatory. The rush of water was dragging the wood and the quigley and quigley down the opposite trip tributary of the stricken stream quigley violet screamed again violet quigley shouted over the roar of the water the siblings could see that he had removed his commonplace book from his pocket and was desperately waving it at them wait for me wait for me at but the baudelaires heard no more from the stricken stream and in a, in a sudden of thaw from the arrival of false spring whisked the banister of the toboggan away from one another and down the two separate tributaries the sibling had last had one last glimpse of the notebook, notebook's dark purple cover before Quigley rushed around the twist of the stream, and the Baudelaire's rushed around another, and the triplet was gone from their sight. Quigley! Violet called one more time, and her tears sprung in her eyes. He's alive, Klaus said, and held Violet 
Violet's shoulder to help her balance the bobbing toboggan. She could not tell if the middle Baudelaire was crying too or if his face was just wet from the waterfall. He's alive and that's the important thing. Intrepid, Sonny said, which meant something like Quigley Quagmire was brave and resourceful enough to survive that fire that destroyed his home and I'm sure he'll survive this too. Violet could not bear that her friend was rushing away so soon after making his first acquaintance. We're supposed to wait for him, she said, but we don't know where. Maybe he's going to try and reach his siblings before the eagles do, Klaus said, but we don't know where they are. Hotel Dumon. That's what it is? Hotel Dumon? Mm-hmm. Sunny guessed. BFD? Vi- Klaus, Violet said, you saw some of the Quigley's research. Do you know if any of these tributaries will meet up again? Klaus shook his head. I don't know. He said, Quigley's, car- Quigley's the cartographer. Gerdot, Sunny said, which meant we don't know where to go and we don't know how to get there. We know some things, Klaus said. We know that one that someone sent a message to J.S. Jacques, Sonny said. Klaus nodded. And we know that the message said to meet on Thursday at the last at the last safe place. But that couldn't be him. What about Justice Strauss? Yeah, it could um, be any of them. Matichari, Sonny said. And Klaus smiled and pulled Sonny towards him so she wouldn't fall off the floating toboggan. She was no longer a baby, but the youngest Baudelaire was still young enough to sit on her brother's lap. Yes, Klaus agreed. Thanks to you, we know the last safe place is Hotel Dumont. But we don't know where that is, Violet said. We don't know where else to find those volunteers or if we need, if indeed there are any more survivors, surviving members of BFD. We don't even know what BFD stands for. Quigley was right. We've managed to investigate many mysteries, and yet there's still so much that we don't know. Her siblings nodded sadly, and if I had been there at that moment, instead of arriving too far late to see the Baudelaire's, I would have nodded too. Even for an author like myself, who has dedicated his entire life to investigating the mysteries that surround the Baudelaire case, there is still much that I have been unable to discover. I do not know, for instance, what happened to the the two white-faced women who decided to quit Olaf's trope and walk away all by themselves down Mortmain Mountain. There are some still that say that their painted faces, they paint their face white and can be seen singing sad songs in the glooming of the, in the gloomiest music of the hallways in the city. There are some who say that they live together in the hinterlands, attempting to grow rhubarb in the dry and barren ground. And there are those who say that they did not survive the trip down from Mount Frat and that their bones can be found in one of the many caves of the odd square peaks. But although I have sat through this song after dreary song, I have tasted some of the worst rhubarb in my life and brought bone after bone of skeletons to expert. And she has told me that I was making her life so miserable that I should never return. I have not been able to discover what truly happened to those two women. I do not know where the remains of the caravan are, as I have told you. And as I reach the end of this rhyming dictionary, you and read the last short list of the words that rhyme with zucchini. I am beginning to think that I should stop my research after for destroying the vehicle for the destroyed vehicle and give up that particular part of my research. And I have not tracked down the refrigerator in which the Baudelaire's found at the verbal fridge dialogue. Despite the stories, it is also in one of Mortmain Mountain's caves, or performing in some gloomiest music halls in the city. But even though there is much I do not know, there are few mysteries that I have solved for certain, and one is that I'm sure you're, that I'm sure is about the Baudelaire orphans and where they went next, as the ashen waters of the stricken stream hurried their toboggan out of Mortmain Mountains, just as the sugar bowl was, uh, as the sugar bowl was hurried along, after vol- the volunteer tossed it into the stream to save it from the fire. But although I know exactly where the Baudelaire's went, I can even trace their path on a map down one of my most promising 
young photographers of our time, I am not the writer who can describe it best. I am the writer who can most accurately and elegantly describe the path of the three orphans was an associate of mine who, like the man that wrote The Road Less Traveled, is now dead. Before he died, however, he was widely regarded as a very good poet, although some people think his writing is about religious religion and were a little too mean-spirited. His name was Algernon Charles Swinburne, and the last quadrant of the 11th stanza of his poem, The Garden of Prosper, Proserpine, perfectly describes the children, what the children found in this chapter, in their story, and in their story drew an end, and to the next one began. The first half of the quadrant, quadrant reads, that no life lives forever, that dead men rise up never, and indeed, the grown men in the Baudelaire's lives who were dead, such as Jacques Snicket or the children's father, were never going to rise up. And the second half of the quatrain reads that even the weariest river winds somewhere to safe to see. So is it the river that they're in? Maybe. There is a part of a bit trickier. This part is a bit trickier because some of the poems are a bit like secret codes in that you must study them very carefully in order to discover the meaning. A poet such as Quigley Quagmire's sister, Isadora, of course, would know once that there were two lines that what those two lines meant, but it took me quite some time before I decoded them. Even eventually, however, I became cl- it became clear that the worriest river refers to stricken stream. Oh, I was right! Which indeed seems weary from carrying away all of the ashes from the destruction of VFD headquarters and the winds somewhere, winds somewhere safe to sea refers to the last safe place where all the volunteers, including Quagmire, could gather. Oh, so did they just take the wrong the wrong way? No. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, she doesn't know. She you can't tell. say that. Okay. I, tell, I know. I don't, don't tell us. As Sunny said, she and her siblings did not know where to go, and they did not know how to get there, but the Bodler orphans are winding their way anyways, and that is one thing that I know for certain. Okay. All right. See you later, Quigmeister. Bye. This book stresses me out. Okay. Bye, people. Payton has to go to school. Bye. Bye.